0: I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I am so thrilled. My friend, Adam King, who you guys have heard before talking about various and sundry eye diseases, is here to talk about one of our listener requested breeds for the month of October, and that is the Havanese. And Adam is a very, very successful Havanese breeder. Askin is his kennel name. And in addition to being a phenomenal ophthalmologist veterinarian, he is an excellent Havanese breeder. So he's joining us to talk about this most adorable little dog. And the listener request for this breed was huge. All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies? Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark creator of the highest-rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, Visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome, Adam. I'm super glad you could come and join us.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad to be here, Laura.
0: Excellent so you know the story a little bit so the 411 tell us how you got involved with havanese which are still a relatively new breed for the american Kennel club
1: all things considered they are although we have full akc recognition in the toy group since 1999 so those 99 years
0: are- i couldn't 90. remember when it was good okay perfect
1: exactly so, to start with, I am a first generation dog person. So, my parents were not involved in a sport of purebred dogs at all. And so, I was always animal crazy as a kid. And I stumbled upon the Westminster Kennel Club dog show on TV, like so many people do. I just was fascinated by all the different breeds I saw. And this was actually pre AKC recognition of the Havens. Right. So, being the nerd that I was, I then went to the library with my grandmother because she would take me there on weekends. And I got a book about learning how to judge dogs by Anna Catherine Nicholas. That was oh my, my first Oh my gosh.
0: Introduction.
1: Yeah. What? Into the sport of period dogs. I started reading that when I was, I think, probably like 13 or 14. I think I was probably the only person to check that out of the Warwick County Public Library. Well, at least at um, your
0: but- library. I might've checked it out of mine, so I'm saying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I kept it checked out many a time. But at the same time, I began researching basically every single breed that there was, AKC and rare breeds. And my grandmother growing up had a Shih Tzu that I loved. And I really liked Shih Tzu, but I was a little intimidated by the grooming that they had. So mm-hmm. all the straight coats and the top knots and everything. And so looking through the different breeds, I kind of stumbled upon the Havanese, which was similar to the Shih Tzu to my teenager eye, but didn't seem so intimidating. It was also not yet AKC recognized, so it was a smaller community of people. And being that it was in the late 90s, I joined an online email list, a Yahoo group of Havanese.
0: Oh my gosh, blast from the past, Adam. Right? That's fabulous. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. The Havanese forum on Yahoo groups. And I began as a teenager talking to the different breeders. And fortunately, one of the breeders, Rita Stern of Silverdale Havanese, took pity on me and kind of took me under her wing. And she mentored me along with another former breeder, Jan Stark of Stark at Havanese. And after a couple of years, Rita Stern contacted my parents and asked if it would be okay if she would give me a puppy for Christmas. So I know oh God. Christmas puppies are not always a good idea, but in my case, it truly changed the trajectory of my life. And I've been in the Havanese ever since I got my first Havanese Pete in 1999 for Christmas.
0: Oh my gosh, that is the greatest story. I just want to make a note because it's really easy for people to assume that you and Mary King, who was associated with the very famous Havanese,
1: absolutely
0: are related and you're not.
1: I mean, we're related by dogs now, but we're not related by our own human blood. (laughs) Yeah, the funniest was there actually was a exhibitor of Havanese back in the early days, named Tina King. And my m- mother's name is actually Tina King.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> yes. But there are several kings that are involved in Havanese. And while Mary and I are very dear friends, we are unfortunately not related by blood, though I would okay. be honored to be as well.
0: You know what? We always say that friends are the family we choose. So there
1: Absolutely. you go. Absolutely
0: Excellent. Okay. So talk to me about the Havanese history? Because it is such a fascinating little breed to me.
1: Absolutely. So the Havanese is a member of the Bichon family of dogs. And so along with Havanese, we obviously have the Bichon, Maltese, Bolognese, Catan, Lauchan, and the Svetnaya Belonga. But the Havanese is the one I chose and I fell in love with And so when you're thinking about the history of the Havanese breed itself, it kind of goes back to the original Cuban breed which was the Blanquito de la Habana, And so this was a tiny, like three to six pound pure white dog that developed as the precursor of the Havanese in the like 16 to 1700s in Cuba. And that originated from dogs that were brought over to Cuba from Spain and Italy. Mm -hmm. So the colonizers brought these dogs over and the Cuban aristocracy kind of fell in love with them. They were these cute, small...
0: Well, how could they not, right? Exactly. exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, small little white dog, curly white hair, adorable. So they fell in love with them. Then kind of if you fast forward to the 1800s, there were additional European immigrants that came to Cuba, more from France and Germany. And they brought with them a poodle type dog. And so you have the original Blanquito, which was smaller and pure white. And then you have the Poodle that came in that brought in additional size and color and a little bit different coat, which then gave us the ability to cord Havanese. But it was that addition to the Poodle that really kind of began the development of the Havanese in Cuba. And from there, the Blanquito breed actually got completely absorbed into the Havanese breed. So Blanquitos don't exist anymore. Interesting.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, we just kind of came into the heavens. They're a little bit sturdier, a little bit more colorful, obviously,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and very charming as they still are to this day. And so they became the family pet of the Cuban aristocracy. Then kind of obviously, if we fast forward a little bit further, we get into the Cuban revolution kind of in the 50s, basically 1953 to mm-hmm. like 1959 mm-hmm. with the 26th of July movement led by Fidel Castro to overthrow the military dictatorship. And so obviously during this time, many wealthy Cubans fled the country, but a lot of them thought it was going to be a relatively short-lived thing. And so they left their dogs, the Havanese, with uh, domestic help at the time because they thought they'd be coming back to Cuba very shortly. (laughs) And that's something that obviously didn't happen for many of those families. No. We are fortunate that a small number of Havanese were taken by their owners to Costa Rica and the U.S., And that's where the majority of the breed then developed from. So there still were small pockets that were in Cuba that the Cuban population does have a breeding program of Havanese as well currently. But most of the Havanese, both in Europe and in America, came from those people who just happened to take their dogs with them. And it was really a woman named Dorothy Goodale who really developed the breed here in the U.S. Dorothy was a purebred dog breeder. And in the 70s, she found an advertisement for Havanese in the newspaper. So she was a breeder of Commodore. She had soft-booted wheat terriers earlier in the breed development here in the U.S. And eventually she had Bolognese as well. But yeah. it was Dorothy and her husband, Bert, that stumbled upon the Havanese in a dog book, like many people do when they're searching for dog breeds. They thought the Havanese sounded wonderful. And so they placed an ad in a newspaper, a Spanish-speaking newspaper, to find if they could find more of these dogs. And she eventually got a group of dogs and absolutely fell in love with them. And so then she placed additional advertisements in newspapers in Southern Florida. And then through that, she got additional dogs, ending up with a total population of around 12 dogs or so, which is what the American Havanese really became established with. Wow. So we have Dorothy Goodale to thank for having American Havanese as it is now. And it's something where, like we talked about earlier, the Havanese became fully recognized in the toy group in 1999, and we've kind of just exploded with popularity from there.
0: So exploded because, Adam, they're super cute, they're a fabulous size, and they come in all these colors. So talk to us about that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. The Havanese really is a quite wonderful breed. I realize I'm saying that completely biased as someone who spent a lot of my life dedicated to them. But I mean, truly, the first line of our standard really sums them up beautifully. It's a small, sturdy dog of immense charm. Mm -hmm. This is a breed that you can't help but smile when you're around them. They are a toy breed, but the nice thing is that they are not a fragile toy breed for the most part. So this is a dog that should be sturdy, with our size being between eight and a half to 11 inches, and should have good bone with them as well. We don't want them to be clunky. But there should be nothing fragile or breakable about a Havanese whatsoever.
0: So how much do they weigh? Is this something I'm going to pop in my shoulder bag and hop on the airplane? Or what do you think about that?
1: I mean, it depends on how strong your shoulders are, I think. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so they are very transportable. And when I have flown with dogs, it is easy to fly with them because they do tend to fit underneath the seat in front of you, mm-hmm. um, in cabin with you. But usually your dogs are going to weigh a little bit more than they are inch wise. So I would say usually your eight and a half to 11 and a half inch dogs are going to probably weigh somewhere between like nine and maybe 13, 14 pounds. Oh, okay. Now, granted, some dogs can weigh more or weigh less from that. And I will Mm -hmm. say that even in like my own litters, sometimes we do have little almost like pocket pets, like little tiny Havanese that I think is just a callback to the Blanquito that became absorbed into the Havanese. Sure. Most of your dogs are going to be pretty sturdy.
0: Okay. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys, if you are part of a national breed club in the U S or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at true medical insurance for the life of your pet have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying you guys have heard me talk about true panions, breeder support program before. And this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now you can partner with Trupanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part, your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member to join the program. It's pretty much of a win-win guys. If you're interested and want to learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at True Panty. And they come in all the colors, right? You talked about the Blanquito, but then the addition of the poodle. Talk to me about what people are going to see in terms of the range of colors available.
1: Absolutely. So with Havanese, our standard states that color and markings are completely immaterial. So the only thing required by our standard is that all dogs should have black pigment on their eye rims, nose, and lips, except for chocolate dogs that will have brown pigment. So we do have a recessive dilute blue that is present in the Havanese as well. Mm-hmm. It's not acceptable for the AKC standard to be in the confirmation show ring, but they still make delightful pets. Mm-hmm. But truly with Havanese, they can be any color and any mark. Now we don't have Merle. I was just going to ask, I've never
0: seen a Merle or a Brendel.
1: Well, we actually do have brindles. Really? Yeah. The big thing with Havanese, though, is that we have a silvering gene in the breed Mm, as well. mm. So what your puppies are born at, the only thing you can guarantee as far as color goes is that they're probably not going to end their life with the same color they started their life. (laughs) So their colors change throughout their entire lives. And it can be quite dramatic. So I had a little bitch that was born as a Uh tri-pied. So black and tan markings with white markings as well. And when she was about a year old or so, she decided she wanted to go blonde. And her color turned like truly a golden yellow color beneath the black. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's something I've never seen before. And then we gave it about another year or so and it turned back to like a dark charcoal gray color. Mm -hmm. So they truly changed throughout their entire lives. And so a lot of your blacks will eventually fade to like a grayish color. Some of them do it quickly as puppies. Some do it when they're older. A lot of your sables, because we do have sables of different colors as well, will change throughout their entire lives. So it can be quite dramatic. So we definitely get people who come to us as puppy owners who say they want a specific color because that's what they want. And it really is sometimes difficult to convince them that that's nice that you think this puppy is a good color right now, but I just want you to make sure that you know it will not be this color probably in six months. It may come back to this color, but it won't be this color in six months.
0: But that's such a great thing for people to know, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: And so that's the perfect segue into, I want to own a Havanese. What are they like to live with?
1: I mean, they're truly just wonderful. My husband, when I met him, was not a dog person Mm -hmm. per se. He's had pet dogs in the past, but he doesn't come from dogs. And certainly didn't imagine he would have probably more than one dog ever. In his life,
0: And I'm going to say, how many do you guys have? Um, uh... I believe we're at
1: eight at this point in time. Oh, Maybe slacker. Enough.
0: I'm <laughs> at 10. Come on. I know, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, truly how many are just like potato chips as well. They are so charming and so happy that you can't help but fall in love with them. And when you have one, all you can think about is, well, you know, it might be a good idea to have another one as well, because they're so fun and easy. And so it really is a breed that does well in, I would say, the vast majority of homes. Because they are a toy breed, if there's children in the family, you definitely need to make sure that they're respectful children and they're responsible Mm -hmm. children. Because definitely dogs can be breakable, but we can say that for dogs of any size. Mm -hmm. But it's a breed that is sturdy enough that it can go around with you wherever you want to go. It's happy to go on walks with you. My parents have multiple Havanese at home as well, and they have two that love going on their mile-long hikes with them. But they're also content to just hang out in the house and just be couch potatoes with you. My current matriarch of my house right now is a bitch named Holly, who's the most perfect dog in the world. <laughs> She's getting ready to turn 13, and truly, oh if, if we didn't make her get out of bed in the morning, I think she would stay there all day just because she wants to be there. I've had pug dogs like that, yeah. <laughs> She's happy just to stay there. I love it. Many people have questions about housebreaking toy dogs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, in my experience, I think the big thing is if you treat them like dogs to an extent and not baby them, Mm -hmm. and if you're really regular with taking them out and rewarding them, I think that they're relatively easy to housebreak given the size of dog that they are. Sure. I do use litter boxes with all of my litters to train them, and they get very reliable, usually by the time they're seven to eight weeks old, of going in the litter box. I wouldn't say that they are Einsteins of the dog world.
0: <laughs> it's a good thing they're pretty.
1: Yep. People disagree with me. I say that they're like a C-plus student. <laughs> so they're happy to be here. They're game to do whatever you want, but it's not a breed generally that you have to outthink all the time. Which is something that I think makes them a really good companion.
0: Well, I can tell you, coming from a breed that I have to outthink six times a day, it sounds like a great idea to me.
1: <laughs> it is. It's really, really wonderful. But they do excel at things like agility and rally mm-hmm. and obedience. They are very versatile little dogs. We have dogs that do tracking that are Havanese. They're mm. just great. The big thing that you have to make sure owners are able to do or willing to do is obviously take care of the coat
0: right grooming was my next thing so exercise we kind of touched on but talk to me about grooming that's a lot of long fluffy dog hair
1: it is it is and I would say the vast majority of pet owners do keep them in a shorter hair so they do like a puppy cut on them and that's something that most show breeders do as well once their dogs are retired from the show ring, Mm -hmm. keeping up a Havanese coat if you're going to show tends to be a little bit easier than say like a Shih or a Maltese, just because we don't expect or really want Havanese to have coat to the ground. So we want to be able to see the outline of the dog. And so it doesn't have to be kept in wrappers. It should not be ironed because this should have a wavy coat. We just want them to be clean and consistent with good grooming. Havanese do go through at least one coat change, usually sometime between the ages of like seven and 10 months. That can be pretty maddening. (laughs) so you like look at them and they map like it truly is quite terrible and you think you're going crazy but if you can get a coat through that generally it's something that's relatively easy to do so right now I have two dogs that I'm keeping in specials coat Mm -hmm. and I usually brush through them like three times a week each
0: well that's for a special I mean so your average pet dog owner if you brush it to the skin once a week that's not unbearable not unbearable whatsoever Okay. And so question, and I just want to make sure I'm on point here. They really don't shed, do they?
1: Correct. I mean, so there's always the argument of, are there no shedding breeds or are they low shedding breeds? Right. And so what I would say is, in addition to Havanese, I also have a miniature bull terrier at home, as well as a Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. So it's a little Mm -hmm. bit of a mix in this household.
0: It's a mishmash.
1: It is. It is. I can certainly tell you the hair that we find in the house is red in color, so it comes either from the toller or from the mini bowl. We don't have dust bunnies. Well,
0: one's longer than the other, so it ought to be pretty easy to pick out. (laughs)
1: Exactly. No, so they don't shed like the typical dog, and they tend to have a pretty low dander and pretty low odor as well.
0: Well, they're in that family of the Bichon and the Poodle and the Maltese, right? So in the low shedding. So for people with allergies, this is a breed that is worth certainly taking a look at.
1: Absolutely. This is a breed we always recommend because we have a lot of people who contact us when they have dog allergies. Mm -hmm. Everyone's allergies are different. And so spending time around this breed would be a good idea to see, is this something that triggers you or is this a dog that you can really be with? But because they do have hair versus fur, it is a breed that is good for most people with allergies.
0: Excellent. Okay. So health and longevity. They're a small breed. Small breeds tend to live a little bit longer. Talk to us. Is there specific health testing that people should be looking for if they're going to talk to a breeder about acquiring uh, a Havanese?
1: Absolutely. So Havanese overall are a relatively healthy breed, though like any breed and any dog, even if we're talking about mixed breed dogs, they can have health issues. So being a smaller breed, the tests that we recommend as far as the Havanese Club of America, we recommend doing yearly eye exams. Speaking Mm -hmm. as a veterinary ophthalmologist, I do (laughs) think that's very important.
0: Very important.
1: Very important. We recommend having patellas checked. Being okay. a small breed dog, a lot of times patella problems can be an issue in small breed dogs, mm-hmm. as well as then having OFA hips as well. So, checking for hip dysplasia.
0: Oh, interesting. That's not something we see in a lot of the toy breeds.
1: Not something we see most commonly. The club tries to be pretty proactive as far as health concerns go. I like that. And we'll say they don't tend to be as clinical as some giant breed dogs if they have mm-hmm. hip dysplasia, but certainly that's something we want to check for. And the other thing is whenever we check for hip dysplasia, we also check for leg calf perpies, which is the necrosis of the femoral head, mm-hmm. which is something you can see in toy breed dogs. Right. We used to require bear testing as well. So to check for congenital deafness, mm-hmm. there have been avenues that have been diagnosed with congenital deafness, either unilateral or bilateral. The health committee, which I am a member of recently within the past year, did a survey and looked at issues. We've talked to multiple neurologists. And the incidence in the breed has been so low that we actually recommended removing that test within Mm -hmm. the past year. And so we did just remove that from our requirement for a chick. Okay. But the breed does, like I said, tend to be relatively healthy. Things that kind of go beyond the breeding itself, as far as breed specific tests go, there certainly are incidences of heart disease and having So generally Mm -hmm. it's mitral valve disease, progressing congestive heart failure, as well as types of cancer can be. Not common in the breed, but present in the breed, let's say. Sure. And so as far as the heart disease goes, that is something that is more of a degenerative disease we see in older dogs. So not something that we recommend doing for like yearly tests or doing echoes on younger dogs. Let's we see more in our like middle-aged to older dogs that can happen. And then cancer obviously can strike at any age.
0: And any breed, realistically. And
1: any breed. And not even just breed, any dog. The health committee did a kind of retrospective study that was completed with owner information as far as late longevity and the breed. And what we found is that there kind of were two peaks as far as mortality go in the breed. So there was a peak kind of around the eight to nine year range. A lot of times that was seen with cancers. And then there was another peak that was more in the 13 year range. Okay, It tends to be a pretty long lived dog, overall healthy the peak at the eight to nine year range wasn't uh, concerning, pink necessarily. So it's not something that we're worried as far as having a lot of dogs that have early mortality whatsoever. And the kind of complication with that study is all self-reported by owners versus from veterinarians as well. Right. But fortunately, I would say, with my experience in my own personal dogs, most of my dogs have lived between the ages of like fifteen or sixteen. Okay. And so they're pretty long-lived, hardy dogs for the most
0: part. I mean, I would think that would be a 15 year breed. Yeah. Like that would just be, what would jump out to me. Yeah. Okay. So sort of final question and you sort of referenced this earlier, but I'm going to give you the opportunity again, who makes a great Havanese owner? And is there anyone in the world who shouldn't own one of these potato chips is what I'm saying.
1: (laughs) I'll start with the second one. I would say the people who shouldn't own a Havanese generally are the people who shouldn't own a dog.
0: <laughs> okay. If Valid. they are
1: not home at all, if they have small children who are roughhousing with dogs, if they have no interest in taking care of coat or paying someone to groom the coat or cut down the coat, mm-hmm. they shouldn't own dog. They shouldn't have a Havanese. I would say the nice thing about being a breeder of Havanese for the most part, anyone who contacts me who seems like they would make a good home for a dog makes a good home for a Havanese. So, I can generally place my puppies in homes Mm -hmm. and know that I'm going to get multiple texts and emails about how much they love their dog for the rest of the dog's life.
0: And lots of cute pictures and Instagram Absolutely. posts and all that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. no, I have multiple puppies on Instagram.
0: I'm saying this is the most Insta-worthy breed I can think of.
1: It, it really is. We just placed some puppies in their new homes within mm-hmm. the past few months. Right? We're still getting the most adorable pictures from all of the new owners. One of them actually just went and visited my parents because they live down near where my parents live in Southern Indiana. So she stopped by to show my parents the puppy as well. Oh my gosh.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, I just love them. I think they are the cutest little dogs and I just am so grateful to you for giving us your time and sharing your passion for this fabulous little breed.
1: Absolutely. I always love talking about the Havanese.
0: Well, how could you not? Right? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like the NPR of dogdom, pure dog talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities, and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is pure pep talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review.